1: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from New York City on this, the 13th day of June, 2017. I do like to remind you each and every week that I am the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and you can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. And Chen Lin, my uh, friend and uh, associate, uh, also publishes a letter called Chen Picks. Well, it's called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You can go to ChenPicks.com to pick up uh, some information on his letter. And Chen called me just before the show today to talk about a couple of very exciting ideas that I expect I'll probably be passing on to my own subscribers in the near future. One is to do with a a Peruvian remediation play, a very sizable Story. I think nobody is paying any attention to it. I think it has tremendous upside potential, as does a Nevada gold play that also is under the radar of almost everyone. So Chen has a way of picking up these things uh, at very good prices, and uh, I'm very excited about both of them. I'll be doing some research my own uh, and talking to Chen some more. But again, to take full advantage of Chen's letter, you need to go to chenpicks.com. To take advantage of my letter, miningstocks.com. And I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Today's sponsors are Dynasert Inc., TriMetals Mining, Telson Resources, Klondike Gold, RN Resources, Novo Resources, Genesis Metals, and GMV Minerals Corp. And speaking of RN Resources, we'll be talking to Ivan Bebek. Uh, the executive chairman of that company, which I think is one of the most exciting stories out there with not one, but three or four prospects to become major world-class mining operations. And the point is, you look at the history and the history of this company, the the executives, uh, Ivan and his, and his partner, uh, have had a tremendous uh, track record in the past of making people money uh, in exploration plays, and I think they're back to do it again, but I, I believe this is probably going to be their best one. I know that Ivan feels that way. He'll be with us at about, uh, in about 15 minutes or, well, 10 minutes or so, he'll be with us to talk about what's going on with RN Resources. Uh, anyway, I've titled today's show... Uh, it's just as bad as the 1930s. And as I mentioned, Ivan Bebek will be with me. John Rabino and Michael Oliver is with me momentarily to talk about some of the hot markets that he's tracking. Uh, and he'll be talking to us about those in just a few seconds. Um, you know, talking heads on TV, um, the mainstream media are going to tell you that interest rates are rising because the economy is getting stronger and the policymakers are doing their job and don't worry, be happy everything is fine. On the other hand, John Williams, who was our guest last week, uh, provided evidence that you know we've really never crawled our way out of the rut that we fell into, the precipice actually that we fell into in 2008-2009, according to John's work, if you look at, if you look at and track inflation the same way it was measured uh, before Ronald Reagan, we've never really come back to a positive GDP. That's because John's inflation numbers are much, much higher than what the government reports and uses in terms of talking about real GDP. Uh, And So John Rubino is gonna be with me and we're gonna talk about the the economy. We're gonna talk about several other things. John's gonna talk about uh, the cryptocurrencies and how they are coming into play. Are they replacing gold? Is there a chance for something very major um, you know, in gold, or are the cryptocurrencies replacing gold? Well, that's one topic among several others that I hope to talk to him about. Uh, John posts some videos at uh, DollarCollapse.com. Uh, we'll talk about several of those. One of those is a Harry Dentz video, and Harry is really big on this notion of demographics, and for sure, there's a lot of truth to to that. But because he sees the declining. Uh, baby boomer uh, demand and the demand, declining demand, resulting from demographics. He is, uh, he believes that we are heading for a major depression. Well, um, you know, and deflation. I might add. In other words, your dollar will increase its buying power. Well, John Williams, of course, last week refutes that, and as does, uh, as does John. Rubino. Um, The idea, of course, Williams and Dent would agree in the sense that the economy is not good. It it really is quite weak, in fact, and it's getting worse and it's going to get worse. But that doesn't mean, um, you know, Dent thinks that that drives prices down. Williams believes that what happens is the government will print endless amounts of money, knocking the confidence out of the dollar, and the dollar will cease to be the world's reserve currency, and therefore Uh, its purchasing power will disappear and prices will go up as measured in the dollar well we're going to explore those ideas but right now we want to explore some ideas with michael oliver Uh, he always well you know michael has his ideas and he knows his his fundamental economics as well as anyone i know he is a free market advocate and he understands it as well as anybody i know but he also doesn't let that get in the way of an objective view of what the market is really doing. I know that's a sin of mine in the past. I know what I think the market should be doing, according to my free market uh, ideology. It doesn't always work that way, or at least not when I think it should. So thanks for joining me again, Michael. We want to we hear what your thoughts are on several markets again. Thanks, well, thanks for being to with to us speak. again. Great to be back, Jay. Yes. You know, as you look over the many markets, you keep track of... Um, yeah, would it be correct to say that, uh, for the moment, you're most bullish, perhaps, uh, of any market, on the grains?
3: Yeah, that's right. Um, last year, they laid in the weeds, while gold and oil and uh, copper, some extent, silver, sugar, had big up moves and moved the uh, Bloomberg Commodity Index up more, actually, than the S&P went up last year, talking 2016. Mm-hmm. But that was just part of the commodity complex. The grains and meats were going down uh, some of the softs were just, were soft. <laughs> Some of the softs are cocoa, cocoa, coffee, and sugar. Sugar was mm-hmm. strong. The other two were nothing going on. Uh, weak in cocoa. Uh, so it really, it was an arm wrestling match. It was not a unified commodity asset category at all. Uh, and now, in our view, gold has another leg up coming soon. I think best measured by the GDX. The dollar is now weakened to the point where I'm, I'm bearish on the dollar long term. Uh, uh-huh. And I had my numbers for a long time that it toyed with, and finally broke them in the last couple of months. So I think that shift has occurred. And that helps, of course, commodities. But the grains in particular, when I when we run our long-term momentum chart studies, not price charts, of the grains. And by the way, i throw into that rice, rough rice futures, which are very illiquid, but they can be measured. is they, a they, the uh-huh. vehicle that we can at least measure rice. When you put rice, corn, and wheat together, that's sixty percent of the world's protein intake. Protein intake. Mm-hmm. It dwarfs meats, by the way. Uh, uh-huh. So these are three important grains. Now, also we can lump into that the oil seeds, the soybeans. So there's four yeah. markets for watching. Corn, in our view, is broken out. Did at the end of May. Rough rice did at the end of May. That leaves soybeans and wheat. Wheat is literally tinkering with the numbers. Intra month or intra week, we've got a weekly breakout number and a monthly that will trigger very long-term momentum to the upside. And if we can get one of those two remaining commodities, which look like both of them will do it, but wheat's closer, then we think you can circle the grains. And that subcomponent, which has been totally dead asleep, if not anemic, for the last so, three years at least, or, uh, sharply weak four years ago, but then, then it went into the doldrums and, and built a downward-trending price base, but a, a much better looking momentum base, then you can take that subcategory and say it's going to wake up. Now, often if you have very good momentum structures, such as Gold had in early 2016, mm-hmm. when you break through a structure that jumps off the page at you, I mean, when you look at it, it smacks you in the face. Uh, you treat it as if it were a price chart. And it's just so clear. Well, the grains have that clarity about them right now mm-hmm. from our mm-hmm. perspective. And it says when they break out, we think that the first whoosh on the upside is is likely to produce, unleveraged, a 40% move. And I think it could do it within a matter of about three quarters. Mm-hmm. So now you look around the world and you say, you don't want to put my money somewhere. Well, the grains have been Dollsville for three years, or if right. you're, probing, you're probing the long side, you've been frustrated to heck uh, yep. and not, not making any money and watching the stock market go up. And so naturally, I think most prospective investor longs in the grains aren't even looking at them anymore. Mm-hmm. They've been so bored for so long. That's right. the kind of market that produces whooshes.
2: Right, uh, right. And, Let me and, ask you, Michael, <laughs> is is there a uh, an ETF? I know there's Moo, well, but is there an ETF per se to play the grains?
3: Well, to play the grains directly is JJG. is an okay. ETF that is unlevered. It invests in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Uh-huh. Now, there's also DBA, which is a broader agricultural ETF. Uh, power shares, I think it is, uh, DBA. Mm-hmm. It's also unleveraged. It includes the grains, the meats, and the softs, so it's a broader food category ETF. And again, they utilize the futures for their means of participation, so you don't have to go into the futures market. To, you could do it through an ETF. But it's our view that that's where the surprise is going to come on the inflation side. It's not going to come from gold. It's going to come from the stuff we eat. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing that has the most uh, political upheaval impact globally if you take the price of food up. 40%, in a power thrust, uh, that, that's going to disturb some complacencies and, and, and turn some heads. So, but from, an, from a trader or investor's point of view, we see that as one of the most potent over a period of that time span of, of half a year to a year once they break out of that kind of gain. Most people would like to have that kind of gain in the stock market over a five-year period.
2: Yeah, right.
3: I think, I think there's a reasonable chance this could occur in less than one year.
2: Well, Michael, okay, and, let me and, and, just ask you, uh, yeah. let me just comment a minute. Uh, you, you mentioned that you see the grains uh, as being politically important, obviously food. When people get hungry, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, all hell can break loose, right? And, and mm-hmm. um, so I would think that if the government, the central bank, every, anybody is ever under any pressure to let a rip in terms of money creation, that would be the time, which then I would suggest might have negative impact on the dollar, the dollar is weakening already, as you said. It's one of your major plate tectonics. It's broken. Uh, it's it's headed down into a bear market, in your view. I think a substantial bear market. What do you think the next stop is for the dollar? I saw we're around 97 today.
3: Well, we, we've been uh, in the 96s uh, in the recent low and have gone dead in the low 97s lately. But while we've had this turbulence in the stock market with the drop in the, the favorite stocks you know, sharply last week, which I think may be the beginning of something, but don't get too excited right away. I mm-hmm. think it may be delayed till the second quarter to the next quarter before you get the downside. But that didn't have any disturbing effect whatsoever on the directionality of the dollar down and the euro up. They mm-hmm. stayed steady, and I think that that's the main play now is the euro is going up, dollar down. Remember, when you measure the dollar, you, you, it's really a relativistic measure against other fiat currencies. So to, to debate it on issues of... Uh, Things beyond that is not important. It's always relative. One piece of junk versus another. Pardon me. Uh, you know, one piece of paper as Von Mises said, "Government's the only entity in the world that can uh, uh, take a valuable thing like paper and make it worthless." Uh, but uh, anyway, so the, when you you say dollar down, it's not like oh, you know, something's wrong here necessarily. It's just it's a relativistic thing. Sure. Uh, to the euro, to the yen, and so forth, which are equally uh, frivolous. Pieces of paper, uh, yeah. but it should have wind at the back. It should help the commodity complex have that next move up. This time, joined by the half of the commodity asset category that did not participate last year.
2: Uh, All right, Michael. With thir- with thirty seconds left, uh, gold. Or where do you? Might we see a breakout I think there sometime? Just-
3: Gold's just uh, picking its teeth here, just below $1,300. Uh, the one I'd watch the most right now is actually GDX. I usually argue the other way. that, that To judge GDX, you should look at gold. Right now, I, I have a different view. GDX is just below 23. It's been above 23 intra week last week and uh, so forth. But if you ever close the, a week out, up in the much about the 23, 40, 50 area, uh, I've got some long term momentum indicators that say the second leg up in GDX is commencing. First leg, All was right. the leg that took us from twelve to thirty-one, then we pull back, and the next leg starting. So, just about a, you know half a dollar above the market, I think mm-hmm. you get excited about GDX again.
2: All right, the gold stocks. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you very much for that, Michael. We want to hear that. Of course, this is my bias. I'm long gold shares, and one of them I'm longest about. We're going to hear from next uh, about next from Ivan Bebek, the executive chairman of R N Resources. Uh, Michael, I want to thank you very much for being. With us again, and we'll look. Uh, hopefully, you'll be sure. available next week. Any Thank uh, you. If
3: your listeners want to have that grain report, just simply go to our site and and we'll send you a sample
2: report. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, okay. that site again is MSA, olivermsa.com. Oliver, Thank you very much, Michael, for being Thank with you, us. Dave. Well, folks, uh, we are going to go to break, but don't go away because Ivan Bebek will be with us. Don't go away.
4: million.
5: Telson Resources is building a new gold mine in Durango State that is destined to become one of the highest-grade gold producers in Mexico. Telson plans to commence production in early 2018 to mine over 1,000 tons per day by the end of the first year. Telson presents an exciting opportunity to investors seeking to position themselves in an exciting and robust new undervalued gold mine opportunity. Telson Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol TSN and on the OTCBB under symbol S-O-H-F-F. Tri Metals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company exploring and developing its near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a gold resource with a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes that with further drilling, there is a significant potential to discover 3 to 5 million ounces of gold at Gold Springs. TriMetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbol. Tmiaf and Tmi, respectively, and its website is trimetalsmining.com.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Now back to our program.
2: Welcome back to Journey Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Ivan Bebek. He is the executive chairman of RN Resources, one of my favorite stocks. One that I it uh, is uh, the second largest holding that I have, and I know the last time we talked, Ivan says, "Well, Jay, we've got to get that to be the largest holding of yours." And who knows? It probably will happen uh, at some point in time, especially if Ivan continues on his successful track record. He and his partner. Uh, sean wallace uh, have done a remarkable job of making people money through exploration uh, in the past and he's back to do it again i think bigger than ever thanks for joining me again Uh, thanks for joining me again ivan thank you so much it's a pleasure to be back here always good to have you with me Um, i should maybe i like to tell my listeners uh, the symbols of your stock aug in canada you can buy it down here in the states under ggtcf uh, 76.6 million shares, uh, $2.52 in U.S. money, a little while ago anyway, and that gives it a market cap of just under $200 million in U.S. dollars. So it's not the smallest company we talk about here, but it is, uh, it's on its way, I think, to becoming much bigger. Ivan, your assistant, Jay Adler, sent me uh, some notes this morning, and, well, he just sort of emphasized the size of your committee bay exploration project that's going on, uh, in Nunavut, and and you know, I, I know you're just getting started. And uh, last year, you had that was really your project, and then you started acquiring projects. You're going to be, you're going to be drilling and having news coming out now, all around the clock, all around the the year, actually. Uh, and your shares haven't done too much recently. They've sort of treaded sort of sideways within a range. But I'm guessing that's likely to t- change sometime pretty soon. But maybe to get started, could you just give our listeners a sense of what you're doing at Committee Bay? Because that's going to be where the first news comes, I guess, this, this year, right? Yeah,
4: absolutely. Um, to start off with, uh, with Committee Bay, um, we're about to, we've just started actually about a day and a half ago drilling 25,000 meters. And what we're doing is we're testing 12 different targets that the guys have spent two years defining on the belt. Um, This belt is spectacular. It's the distance from New York to Boston, if you haven't heard me speak about it before. And there's about 67 historical discoveries that have been done on the belt, but no one's followed up on what those discoveries mean. Um, What we've done is we've actually pretty much surveyed the entire belt, to use a very generalist word. We've uh, scanned the surface and taken samples to find the most highest probable areas of there being a major gold deposit. Um, We're not looking for 2 or 3 million ounces Jay, in each target, we're looking for 5 to 10 million ounces. That's mm-hmm. how big these structures are. That's how much gold is shedding off of them. Um, there is a deposit that was found by our predecessors called Three Bluffs in the middle of the belt. Uh, this this deposit's about 1.2 million ounces of just under 8 grams per ton. That's a high-grade deposit. It gets a lot bigger without too much arm-waving, meaning it can get to the 3 to 5 million ounce range. However, standalone, you know, it's a great asset, but we would get paid a lot more as shareholders if we found the start of two or three or more of those before mm-hmm. we went and drilled the expensive delineation drilling. So our, our look at committee Bay, it's multi-generation of exploration because the belt's so big we could probably find gold there for the next 50 years. However, in the short term, which is you know in a junior's life, time is efficiency, it, it is money to us, we're mm-hmm. trying to find. The start of two or three deposits that could get in the range of three to five million ounces, thus giving us a 10 to 15 million ounce look, which would be one of the biggest in the north, you know, in the Arctic, and one of the best geopolitically places to be. Um, it would be really spectacular for us this summer to come up with a few discoveries that are the 12 big shots we're taking. Um, I'm being conservative when I think two or three might end up being there. All we need is one. Well, one new one would do a dramatic, a dramatic, in, you know, performance on the share price, which, you know, to your point, it hasn't performed too much in the last few weeks. Um, it's at a good market cap. You know, we're not cheap. We're at $200 million or just under $200 million U.S. I think you you have to pay attention to the old adverb of you get what you pay for. Um, you know, you, you've got seven major projects within Orin. You're both in Canada and Peru. There's 25 different targets that could be you know, 5 million ounce gold mines in one company. And that's something that hasn't really been done before in terms of taking the shot. I don't know how many will end up being mines. These are speculations that we're making, but they're very good speculations on some assets that we bought at the bottom of the bear market that we saw in the last five years leading to this market, which is improving.
2: Yeah, and it's an area up there in Nunavut that is now being exploited. And Agneagle Eagle, I think, is doing quite well up there, are they not? Yeah, so they found,
4: uh, they had a mine called Meadow Bank. I believe it was mm-hmm. around 5 million ounces. They were mining that, I think it's on its last year of production. And They made a new discovery called Amaruk, which in about three and a half years is, is pushing six or seven million ounces of gold, which is incredible in terms of size of what can be found in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. I believe Amaruk now is going to get produced at Meadowbank, And then Agnico has another mine they bought there called Meliodine, which is 11 million ounces of gold. And collectively, they're spending $1.2 billion, they announced earlier this year, in the Arctic, which really makes the Arctic a place to be for high-grade gold exploration. And why the Arctic? Why is it so interesting to somebody like Igniko or ourselves? Um, the geopolitical nature of of that part of Canada, the stability, the you know sparse or sparse uh, population of animals or people. It's a good place to be mining. It is remote, so it comes with a cost, but you mitigate that or you reduce the, the cost by the grade of gold. You know, high-grade gold, you don't hear of very many mines in the 7 to 9 gram range mm-hmm. anywhere in the mm-hmm. world anymore. And Canada, northern Canada, is becoming a frontier for high-grade gold discoveries. High-grade gold will give you a tremendous amount of profitability. Um, generally, you have to move a lot less rock to get a lot more profit. You know, it's, so it's, it's really a new frontier, and it's one of the last few that that volume of gold between Igniko's two mines, close to 20 million ounces of gold can be discovered up there in the north. There's also Sabina and TMAC as well. So there's mm-hmm. collectively about probably 30 million ounces of gold in the Arctic that so far has been discovered and is starting to get mined. And so when you look at that volume of gold, and you look at the grade that everybody's mining, it's really changing the game of where you find high-grade gold and the premiums that investors can realize because it's Canada should be better than, than most foreign jurisdictions that you'd have to fight with and deal with.
2: Yeah, indeed. And uh, how late in the year can you work up there? None of it. Uh, that is uh, exploration work up there.
4: Yeah, So, so we'll complete in September, and that's a great question because... You know, how far can you go? We're obviously going to have enough time to drill the 25,000 meters and plus do some more surface work on the balance of the belt at Committee Bay and our second project in the Arctic called Gibson's McCoy. Um, the, The season can start as early as March. You could start with RC rigs. You could actually drill it year-round. I actually believe Agnico does this, although you'd want to do that once you got into a new discovery and you've set up camp right over top of a sure. deposit, right? Um, yeah. But for us, um, our plan is if we make some discoveries this summer and the market monetizes it with us you know, and we get paid for it, we would likely go back as early as March of next year and follow up with a, a different type of drill rig which can drill a little bit deeper and we would just pull these discoveries down and get get a bit more of a sense of what kind of volume could be there in terms of ounces. And, and again, we're, we're playing with the time curve here because the more discoveries you make early give you a chance to be less delusional with future financing mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. able to spend more money, right?
2: Right, yeah, great strategy. And uh, you know, then let the big boys come in when they can see those multi-million ounce deposits uh, spend their money. And uh, they're, they're, they're the ones that are in the hunt for the big ounces they're having a hard time replacing. And you're going to a place like Nunavut, where the uh, low-hanging fruit, so to speak, hasn't been mined out before. Well, I want to ask you about the Homestake project in British Columbia. So you've got uh-huh. those two main areas uh, in this hemisphere, in the northern hemisphere that you're working on, then you'll go to the southern hemisphere to work on, uh, you know, when the season changes, to, and Peru. But talk to us a little bit about your plans at the Homestake project in British Columbia, which is a very substantial, potentially very substantial mining project. So, so it's a great project. It's an, another
4: high-grade Canadian deposit. It's 1.2 million ounces, roughly of uh, 9 grams equivalent, gold equivalent. I think about 80% of that is gold and 20% of that is silver. Um, it's a precious metal asset that can be mined via producing a concentrate. That 1.2 million ounces occurs in only 7 million tons of rock, which is incredibly low cost mm-hmm. mine to build a mine around that however as that sits today you know we've run our own numbers to see what that would be worth i can't get into the details because we'd obviously have to release them but it would be a mine in our opinion today as is you wouldn't have to find another ounce and you do very well with that mine what gets us extremely excited are two things um one is the grade that's been drilled there, they've drilled their best hole with 73 meters of 21 grams per ton gold. Mm. That's a spectacular drill hole and that's what occurs. You've seen results like that in SK Creek. You've seen similar stuff in Predium. You know, the Golden Triangle in BC is, is an anomalous place in the world where some of the highest grade gold mines occur. And uh, what we've noticed in the past six months, we've done a lot of work on all the historical work that's been done on site was our predecessors had not followed it You know, the way we are for structure, we see a lot of extensions to the deposit that's there. We also found some new structures that we believe were completely missed. So, coming to a project like that with 1.2 million ounces of nine grams gold equivalent to start, you know, we have a very high level of confidence that we would be able to at least double it and possibly go a lot further. You know, it's kind of in the land of. Smaller but very rich mines in B.C., which for any major or mid-tier mining, it's the most profitable mine you could have. The less amount of rock you have to move to produce more ore, the better. And when you talk about nine grams gold equivalent and you're producing a concentrate, um, we're about 10 kilometers away from the deep water port in Stewart. You know, it gives us really a lot of a lot of really. Favorable economic conditions, so that building a mine there would be cheap, the profitability would be very high, and you'd be able to sustain low, really low gold prices if we did ever go back towards that trend. But uh, Homestake's a special favorite of mine, just on the basis of what's around. Pridey and SK Creek and Seabridge mm-hmm. have been some incredible mines that have been found up there, well known around the world, and I think we're we're on the start of something like that. The other good thing about Homestake is the drilling at Homestake starts a few weeks before the first results come out of committee bay so Mm. we'll be drilling committee bay and homestake at the same time and uh you know and it'll continue past the committee bay drilling into the fall and then peru drilling starts so it's really spectacular that we're drilling the whole portfolio every project gets drilled and uh you know the drill doesn't stop turning so it's going to be a challenge for us to keep up with the press releases on the results and and that's a good problem a good challenge to have so a a lot more to look forward to And, and i'll point back to the sheriff price performance, we got to a certain level. Now people are going in the phase of two things. One, they're curious what the Fed's going to do tomorrow, so there's a bit of a pause on the gold market. I listened to part of your previous interview about the U.S. dollar breaking through some certain important levels, and I do agree with that. That'll be a softer U.S. dollar in the second half of the year. I do think it's heading into a bit of a softer downward trend, and I think that the gold market, post tomorrow's meeting, will start to pick up for the second half of the year, so our timing you know, in the general market is, is pretty Positive, you know. I think we're we're in in a very good position to deliver some big big returns based off of some discovery between the two Canadian projects this summer, and then the Peruvian projects this fall.
2: Excellent. Well, I, I do want to ask you more about we're uh, about Peru. We're basically out of time right now, and, and perhaps when we get closer to the to the drilling season there, we can talk about that. But. In the meantime, um, yeah, you're you're doing very well. You've been an expensive program, though. How are your how are your finances uh, to get through this year, and will you have anything left, or will you have to go back to the till next yeah. year to raise some more money?
4: So two things are happening. Um, we are uh, we are we'll have about three million dollars left in December, mm-hmm. and um, we we get offered money often. I would say I know. every every week. We're not looking to take it down here. We are very ambitious with what we'd be able to do with some discovery holes in this market. Um, we would probably look to raise our next amount of money in the fall on the back of Committee Bay and Homestake results. So, you know, in my own personal opinion, you know, I'd, I'd hope to see at least double or triple current share prices before we mm-hmm. do that financing. That's sure. my personal speculation of, of where it might get financed. But, you know, the, the only thing that could expedite that happening would be another strategic investor as you're aware Gold Corp owns 12.5% of us mm-hmm. there's been a lot of interest because of what we have as a portfolio by various corporates and institutional investors that are, don't own us yet and um, you know we have $35 million as I sit here with the phone with you right now so we're not in a race to do that our, our next major event before a financing will be hopefully some spectacular results and a return for shareholders that's that's better and a very dilutive share price but you uh, yeah we're looking very forward to it and one last comment i know we're running out of time is mm-hmm. you know we'll, we'll save peru for the next conversation but you know, last year and the calls we've had peru's been a concept a concept of finding significant deposits, major endowment in a country that's underexplored, well, the layers we continue to peel off those surface of those projects is starting to make Peru a reality. Mm-hmm. And I think Peru would, would compete with something massive just as much as Canada will. So it's a really exciting portfolio, and, and Peru is going to be significant for us as it gets ready to be drilled here in a few months.
2: Excellent. Well, we don't have to wait for news. There's going to be a constant flow, which is which is new for you now. And I think that's going to really, uh, especially if you deliver the kind of results I'm anticipating, you will. uh, It's going to get the market very excited about your shares. I can't help but listen to you, Ivan. I know you're so enthused about what you're doing, and uh, that would be fine and dandy. Except your track record gives people reason to understand why you're enthused. Thanks so much for being with us today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again in the not too distant future. Thank you very much, Jay. I appreciate being here. Thank you. You bet. Well, thanks. Well, uh, folks, don't go away. John Rubino is going to be with us and uh, he'll have some very interesting things to say about the markets, uh, about the uh, gold markets and, well, the cryptocurrency markets and other things. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino.
0: Global Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently upgrading and expanding on its resources to produce an economic study in Q3 2017. Followed by construction in Q1 2018, Novo enjoys a strong balance sheet and supportive shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow klondikegoldcorp.com. Dinosert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40 percent, increase torque improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders.
2: From the boardroom
0: to you, Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor, and I'm happy to have John Rubino with me once again. John uh, runs the popular financial website DollarCollapse.com, and he's co-authored a book um, with James Turk, uh, and he's written some books on his own as well. Uh, he's been he's a, a professional financial analyst, really an equity analyst. He's uh, traded. Ah, uh, the bond market in the past. He, when he was in in Wall Street, uh, now he's uh, decided to. Well, I don't know if he takes life easy. I think he works very hard, but he lives in a uh, in a part of the world which uh, I would love to live in. That's Idaho, and um, but thanks to modern communication, we can talk to John. Thanks for being with us again, John.
6: Hey, Jay, good to be back.
2: Always good to have you on this show because, um, well, first of all. Uh, you speak well and it's always you're easy to understand and 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 your thoughts are coherent and they're well organized so that helps me as a uh, you know as a host. I have to recently I saw an article at dollarcollapse.com that claimed that the past 10 years have been about as bad as the 1930s as measured by GDP. In fact I think the authors suggested they were even worse but then as it turns out I guess maybe he wasn't quite correct because he was using or making some assumptions about the data that he was using that wasn't quite correct, or the data, I don't know exactly what, but it turns out, maybe not quite correct, but not completely off the wall either. Uh,
6: could you comment on that article? Sure. Um, the The author of that article basically took the, the average growth for each year in the 1930s compared it to the average growth for each year in the past 10 here, and um Got the same number. In other words, the the economy, the U.S. economy right now is growing as slowly as it did during the Great Depression. Uh-huh. And there, there are some issues with taking a you know a compounding data series and making an average out of it. Right. Um, so that you you know that doesn't give you a completely accurate picture. And in fact, on a compounded basis, we're growing a little faster in terms of reported numbers than we did uh, during the depression, yeah. but not much faster. It's still um, incredibly subpar. You know, it's one point something versus really what we need a, a, to be a three or so percent a year growth in order to stop the increase of debt to GDP. In other words, um, until we grow at historically normal rates for the post-World War II era, um, we're digging ourselves more deeply into a financial hole year after year. So the, the point of that article is still valid even if the math was a little off, which is that, um, that something has changed in the, the past decade to make it harder and harder for us to grow at rates which we would consider normal and optimal. And what has changed, obviously, is all the debt we took on prior to this decade. You know, We leveraged ourselves to the hilt between 1971 and the 2000s. And when you borrow huge amounts of money, it makes everything else harder. Whether you're an individual or a country, it works the same way. Your debts act as a, a headwind. Mm-hmm. And it makes it harder to grow going forward, especially if your growth requires new debt. You know, if, if, if we have to talk consumers into borrowing more money now, mm-hmm. that's a tough sell because most consumers are already, you know, borrowed to the max. Right. Same thing with corporations, they now have record amounts of debt. Same thing with governments at basically every level of American, European, and mostly Asian society. Um, everybody's all, already fully leveraged. So we can't get people to leverage themselves further very easily. In other words, we can't get credit to be created for productive uses anymore. Therefore, we don't grow very um, quickly. And Mm -hmm. our debts continue to mount. So what we're having, well, what's happening right now is that debt to GDP everywhere in the world is rising in some places at an accelerating rate which means we're creating the conditions for some kind of a gigantic financial crisis out there. You know, if you, um, To go back to the, the 1930s example, if you look at the amount of debt that uh, the, the, the U.S. carried going into the 1930s and compare it to the amount of debt that we have today, there is no comparison. We mm-hmm. are vastly more leveraged now than we were during the roaring 20s and the stock market crash and subsequent depression you know, that followed the stock market crash uh, in, during the 1930s, um, we, we should expect something of a, of a commensurately higher magnitude going forward. We don't know what it's going to be. It could be a hyperinflation where we basically just have to cut the value of the dollar and the euro in the end by three-fourths in order to get out from, get out from under these debts or some kind of a huge crash where we wipe out our debts via... Um, um, default. In other words, everybody goes bankrupt and their debts disappear, but at a huge cost in human misery. So, one of those things is increasingly likely as our debts mount. Mm-hmm. We can't know for sure which one it'll be because we don't know what decisions the governments of the world are going to make in response to the uh, you know the rising amplitude of the booms and busts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know it's possible that this boom is the last boom and the bust that flows from it inevitably is going to be the final bust in the cycle that began after world war 2 and that really gained traction in 1971 when we took the world off the gold standard you know mm-hmm. that that world fiat currency and fractional reserve banking is going to end at some point because it's clearly dysfunctional. It clearly results in accelerating leverage, which has to blow up on us at some point. So right. when that system ends, jay, that that's really the end of an era because that's what we've known for all of our lives and uh, you know everyone's adult life and the entire lives of most people who've been you know who are around now. And when that changes, it's not clear what we create in its place, but it'll have to be very different from what we have today.
2: Well, John, you're a little bit younger than me, but uh, I was a young man, uh, quite a young man, when we went off the gold standard. I suspect you were probably in grade school somewhere. So uh, maybe, maybe you weren't even that old. I, I no, you weren't <laughs> even that old. <laughs> uh, high school so there. so so what we're you just said standard. isn't well, so yeah. what you so what you just said isn't quite true. I mean, i I, I can remember. Before there were credit cards, essentially, I remember when the first credit cards came out was to buy Getty gas or something like that. Uh, and And people were averse to borrowing money. That was before Nixon took us off the gold standard in seventy one before the the banking system could expand infinitely. Uh, but I want to go back to ask you, uh, you sort of seem to emphasize, reported growth, and the reason I ask, I I want to bring that up, and and it also touches on this inflation-deflation issue, the two scenarios that you just painted. You know, we had John Williams on this show last week, and I want to talk to you also, I want you to talk to us, rather, about your, you have something you put, I think, on your website at Dollar Collapse, I think is absolutely excellent. If people want to go to pick up some excellent videos, you know, 10, 15-minute type things that will really give you some insights John, you do a great job of picking up a lot of different things. And, and one was, uh, was with uh, Mr. Dent, um, and, and he's a real deflationist. I mean, uh, he is talking about, um, you know, he's talking about the price of gold going to 600 he's talking about. Well, and he's really looking at mostly at, uh, you know, at, at the demographic curves and so forth. And certainly there's some truth to that. And he believes, and he agrees with John Williams, who is a hyperinflationist, that the economy is in tough shape because of debt, well, and partly because of debt. He he probably puts more emphasis on the demographics, but nonetheless, both agree that we're in big trouble. Williams sees hyperinflation because he sees the dollar being, confidence being lost in the dollar, people getting rid of their dollars and buying stuff in exchange for, you know, for the dollar, whereas I don't think
6: Dent sees that. Uh, which do you think is more likely, John? Well, I, I um, first of all, I think Harry Dent's take on this is historically really interesting because demographics does have a huge impact on a country's economy. In other words, how many old people there are, how many young people they are, what the trends are and everything. And in, in the US, we're aging um, a gr- very dramatically. You know, the, the number of people over 65 is going to double by 2050 to nearly a quarter of the population. And so mm-hmm. Harry Dent looks at this and says, well, what do old people do? They, they sell their houses and downsize They sell their stocks in order to pay their bills, and what does that do to the financial markets? It it causes a bear market in stocks. It causes housing prices to collapse and causes the economy to slow down. So there's your depression, you know, and and that makes a lot of sense intuitively and historically. But I think he's leaving one thing out, which is that for the first time in history, all the world's governments are armed with unlimited printing presses. Uh Uh-huh which means they can create as much new currency as they want to to lean against this demographic trend. And they've already proven that they, they have no problem doing that. Um, so probably what'll happen if, let's say baby boomers, you know, our generation does what we're supposed to do. We start selling our houses and our stocks and everything. And that puts downward pressure on asset prices. The governments of the world can just create new money out of thin air and buy those assets if they want to. You know, The government can decide what the value of its currency is Literally, because it's got a it's got money that's just make believe. If they want the mm-hmm. dollar to be half as valuable as it is today, they can just decree that by mm-hmm. creating fifty trillion new dollars and just dumping it out into the system. And mm-hmm. I, I think governments will respond that way because the alternative is an instant depression, mm-hmm. which means they'll get blamed for that. Mm-hmm. But if they can push off that inevitability by five years by printing a lot of new currency, that means they get to retire <laughs> and, and their successors get blamed for it. So human nature being what it is, governments will always choose the inflationary course and these guys are armed with the ultimate inflationary weapon right now, mm-hmm. uh, which means they 'll use it. They will destroy the value of their currencies in order to protect their own careers, or mm-hmm. if they're you know if they're idealists and delusional at the same time they 'll do it to protect their constituents, thinking that they 're doing a good thing, but they won 't be doing a good thing they 'll be hurting their constituents in the long run in order to avoid a little pain in the short run but However it works out, I, I think that some kind of a massive currency crisis is the inevitable result of what we're doing right now in in which the major currencies of the world are devalued dramatically in terms of real stuff like gold and silver and farmland and possibly some of the cryptocurrencies. That's a, a new interesting twist on the, the current economic situation that I, I don't think is very well understood. I certainly don't understand it.
2: Well <laughs> John, I think that, it's
6: a that, wild card.
2: Yeah, that leads me to one of the videos that I saw on your website last week. I mean, the, again, folks, John puts up every week his top 10 video picks and he goes through and finds some very interesting and relevant, uh, relevant videos. Uh, from This one uh, was titled, um, Ethereum is just exploding. Is gold next was the uh, title of the, uh, of, of the video. And, you know, we're seeing an amazing rise in the price of Bitcoin and, and Ethereum And others as well, John. I, just, I was amazed. I, lo- I saw the list, a huge list of these cryptocurrencies that have sprung up. Uh, Bitcoin was twenty-seven thirty-five, two thousand seven hundred thirty-five dollars. Uh, Ethereum was at three eighty-seven. I mean, Ethereum was—I don't know—it was, you know, $20, 30 dollars not long ago, something like that. So what? What do you make of this? Is this, you know? And then I notice here's another interesting article I picked up today: Putin meets with Ethereum founder to create national virtual currency. Hmm. I thought the Russians and the Chinese and those countries that are considered adversaries of the United States were building up their gold reserves in order to in order to um, you know to to protect themselves against the, the the United States, against NATO, against the powers that use the dollar and to try to create their own currency so they're not beholden to the dollar or being slaves of the dollar. But what do you do you, what do you make of this?
6: Well, the the cryptocurrencies let's let's take Bitcoin as the main example but it's not only um, about forty percent of the total cryptocurrency market now there's a lot of other ones out there but mm-hmm. but Bitcoin is a superior transaction mechanism to the current way banking is done you know if you, if you want to send some money via your bank it goes from your bank to another bank to a clearing house to another bank and it it might take several days well Bitcoin is instantaneous. In theory, you know, when the system is working the way it should Um, and it's largely anonymous and the supply of Bitcoin is limited, which means its value should be stable over time. Uh, Put that all together and it's a vastly superior system of transaction than the current way of doing things. So it's a new technology that is in, you know th- th- that's possibly displacing the old transactional tex- technology of the world. Um, in that sense it's it's very important and a, you know a very interesting change that's happening out there. but cryptocurrencies aren't stores of value necessarily because they exist um, virtually. mostly they're they're on a, a computer network somewhere right and they can be hacked the, the system can be shut down. you know the, the whole EMP attack, scenario would make um, cryptocurrencies valueless because the mm-hmm. network on which they exist would go down. So they aren't a store of value in the way that gold is. Now, I think ultimately where we end up is with a monetary system that uses gold as the, the base money and which individuals use as a store of value. In other words, physical gold stored in a safe place is your risk-free, the risk-free component of your portfolio. The cash money mm-hmm. and um, a cryptocurrency that is maybe linked to your gold account or maybe exists independently in some other way. That's how you transact, and there's there's constantly you know value flowing back and forth between your gold account and your cryptocurrency account, which which sounds an awful lot like the uh, the gold money system that's being yes. set up. Yes, uh, indeed. And, yeah, and and so so I think there's definitely a place for monetary metals in the new world of crypto money, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not sure exactly how it plays out, but I think, you know, intuitively you, you got to have something that exists physically, which, which can't be wiped out by a computer crash or by hackers or whatever, because those are huge threats right now. Uh, but you also need something that's, um, easy to transact. You need a, you know, a global PayPal basically where you, um, you click send and the money's over in the other account with no trouble. Um, and that is what Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies promise. Mm-hmm.
2: So, so, if you could, if you could attach some value, some intrinsic value to that unit of cryptocurrency, I would. I was just thinking in terms. I believe the Russians and the Chinese and various other countries that are sort of aligned with those two giants are looking at uh, at at doing at using gold more frequently uh, or as part of their currency. They're using it, as I understand it, Turkey and some of the other countries in that block kind of. Uh, using it as a gold as a currency so as I've had explained to me cryptocurrencies are more like a a good transportation uh, network or a means of transporting wealth maybe uh, such that governments can't really see what's going on in some cases I mean people in China trying to get their money out of China when the Chinese
6: government is trying to keep it there that sort of
2: thing going on you think
6: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's interesting. The uh, the countries you mentioned are buying lots of gold at yes. an accelerating rate. At the same time, they're looking at cryptocurrencies as maybe yes. uh, an alternative to their current transaction mechanism. And it's possible that that is their long-term plan too, you know, a gold-based cryptocurrency system mm-hmm. where the blockchain is the transfer mechanism for for value and gold sitting in vaults is the the base money of the system. And that could be what they're thinking about implementing at some point in the future you know they're, they're exploring it now and, and I, I have no idea what their time frame is but they are looking at those two things at the same time so it's interesting but but again this is um you know this, this is brand new uncharted territory here because we don't know how other governments are going to react when their currencies are threatened by cryptocurrencies what will right. they do will they regulate them out of existence somehow mm-hmm. will they make them illegal you know you know we just can't know at this point because it's human decision-making under pressure in the future, which is inherently unknowable. We just right. don't know what these guys sitting around a conference table with a crisis going on are going to decide to do, but you can bet that they'll do something.
2: They'll do so something this isn't to, going to, try be. to try to protect their own interest as they see it, uh, yes. first and foremost. Well, John, just one, a couple other ideas here I wanted to pass by you. Uh, another another wonderful video Um, Grant Williams, the pension uh, crisis is the biggest macro story. And certainly, I think it's one that we're going to hear. We're starting to hear about it already. But then I go back to a statistic I picked up from uh, Simon uh, Mikhailovich in in uh, an article I read earlier today. He's at the Tocqueville Bullion uh, Reserve. And he says... With the global debt-to-GDP ratio now at 320% and the cost of average debt service at 2%, it takes 6.4% growth per annum just to service the debt. Not happening. I mean, that's an amazing statistic. If that's correct, John, we're in big trouble. We're already beyond the, pa- we're, we're beyond the point of no return. There's nobody going to, maybe China can make it, maybe, if you believe their statistics, they can grow at 6%. But no one else can, I mean, who else can grow at 6.4% because of all the malinvestment, the debt, everything else. So um,
6: it's- Yeah, well, Jay, the pensions could be the thing that blows up first, you know, because they are amazingly underfunded. And, you know, Illinois just got um, its bond rating moved down to one notch above junk and their interest costs are going up, which means they can't borrow money, but they also can't balance their budget. So that might be the system that blows up and, and sends the rest of the system into crisis. It could be very easily the, uh, the, the pension funds that are the catalyst for the next big blow-up. Yeah, and the next big blow-up could take gold uh, to much higher levels. As, as a
2: matter of fact, I think that same video that you pointed out, uh, Ethereum Breaks $300 as a title – and in there, uh, they talked about how Andrew McGuire is saying that gold is the next to take off. Well, who knows? Andrew McGuire has been bullish for a long time, and uh, you know, we'll see. Eventually, I think he'll be right. Uh, but um, it it really is really interesting times now, John. Right?
6: Fascinating times, Jay. And and. Uh, m- you know, interesting in the Chinese curse sense for a lot of people. You know, if you're on the wrong side of this, your life is going to get very hard, very fast when this really starts to get going. So that, that's where precious metals come in. They protect you from a lot of the craziness that is definitely coming. All
2: right. We're going to have to leave it go with that, John. We're out of time. Thank you so much for being with us. It's always good to have you. Next week, folks, Frank Holmes is going to be with me. And, and he's starting a new gold ETF, but using a very unique approach Uh, to picking stocks uh, for that fund. So it should be very interesting. I hope you'll join me next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: DinoCert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders.
5: Tri Metals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company exploring and developing its near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs and it already has a gold resource with a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes that with further drilling, there is a significant potential to discover 3 to 5 million ounces of gold at Gold Springs. Tri Metals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under Symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively, and its website is TrimetalsMining.com.